0: So I, uh, I made a foolish mistake this week. I decided to prepare this message for my home office. And that is, let me tell you, a losing proposition when you're uh, preparing a message on servant leadership. Because I cannot tell you the number of times I was interrupted while preparing for this sermon with various needs that I was supposed to be leading in. And uh, it's, it's very difficult. To, uh, to say, no, I can't, I can't you know, uh, lead right now. I've got to prepare a sermon on servant leadership. It's just a losing proposition. But we're going to be looking today at some foundational principles from the Bible, particularly in Proverbs, for wise biblical leadership in our, in our homes, in the church, at workplace, at our workplaces, and in our schools. And, you know, we know God has established authority in each of these things, in government, In our homes, in our churches, in our workplaces. But title and position doesn't make you a wise leader. You can be a pastor, an elder, and not be a wise leader. You can be a successful leader in business and miss wisdom completely, according to the Bible. On the flip side, you can exercise wise leadership even if you don't hold a fancy title or a position of authority. If you're low on the totem pole at work, you can still exercise godly leadership. Rich or poor, you can be a faithful leader. Husbands, we're called to lead our families regardless of whether we have natural abilities, leadership abilities. Fathers and mothers, you are called to be leaders in your home, teaching your children whether you want to lead or not. That's a position we can't escape. We all have a calling, and within that calling, we can exercise certain levels of biblical leadership. So, first today, I'd I'd like to refresh our memory when we talk about wisdom and leadership, about what we're talking about when we discuss this thing called wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. So, knowledge, we could say, is information gained through experience, through reasoning, or or acquaintance. Wisdom, however, is the proper and right application of that information. And here is a heavy theological uh, analogy to break this down, using fruits and vegetables, okay? A friend told me this one. He said, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Now, my kids were very concerned to hear this fact, because that would mean Veggie Tales and Bob the tomato is based on a lie. And it's a fair point. Their music isn't that great either. You know, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. That's factual information. Wisdom is knowing that a tomato shouldn't go in a fruit salad. Don't be putting a tomato in a fruit salad. So I I made up my own. Knowledge is knowing that asparagus is a vegetable. Wisdom is knowing that you should never eat asparagus because it's disgusting. See the difference? Okay, that's not wisdom, that's my opinion. My wife and I, we just got a, a juicer and uh, you wouldn't believe the massive amounts of vegetables my kids are consuming. You know, you call it juice and they love it. That, that's wisdom right there. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. Wisdom is the right application or use of knowledge. So what is leadership? Well, Harry Truman said... A leader who has the ability a, a leader is a person who has the ability to get others to do what they uh, don't want to do and like it. That has never worked for me. A closer biblical definition is this: A leader is a man who knows the road, who can keep ahead and pull others after him. Leadership in the sense of rendering maximum service, leadership in the sense of the largest unselfishness, in the sense of full-hearted absorption in the greatest work of the world, building up the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's leadership. John Piper says, a leader is somebody who has such a vision of reality and the future that somebody is willing to follow. Christian leadership is acting and speaking to create a following towards a goal, all defined by the Bible. Wise leadership is about putting the right beliefs in action, towards the right goal, towards the right end. So what is the starting point for wise leadership? You want to be a wise leader biblically, what is the starting point? How do we know what is right and true as a leader? What vision and goals are we striving towards as we lead others? The starting point for wise leadership is not you and it's not me. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six says this, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is no there's more hope for a fool than for him. The starting point for a leader is not you and it's not me. It's the eternal truths found in God's word. And the eternal truths in God's word says the beginning of wisdom is the very thing we've been preaching on the last couple months. It's the fear of the Lord. This is the very beginning. This is pre-K foundational wisdom, folks. You want to be a wise leader, it starts with the fear of God. Love, honor, and revere God. And yes, fear Him. Fear His discipline. We are to fear the consequences of our sinful actions. We're to love, honor, and revere Him. Point number one today for wise leadership is the fear of the Lord. And and we have seen the fear of the Lord come up many times in our Scripture the last few months, and now we're applying this to the realm of leaders. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Uh, The reason I come back to this passage once again, as a church, is is because it's pretty simple. If you want to be a wise leader, You start at the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. We should never consider ourselves as the starting point for leadership. Proverbs 3, 5 to 7 is very familiar to us. Trust in the Lord with all our heart and do not lean on what? Our own understanding. In all your ways we acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now, there is common grace wisdom out there that we have to acknowledge. There are successful leaders in the world today by earthly standards who are filled with what we could call common grace knowledge. You don't have to be a Christian to conquer the American dream or perform heroically in battle. But for those who don't fear the Lord, their common grace knowledge or wisdom is ultimately of no value. Romans 1, 21 and 22 says this, and it's blunt. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. William Arnott, the 19th century writer, says this, and I'm paraphrasing. Okay, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you don't have reverence and trust in God, you know nothing that you ought to know. Your knowledge is partial and distorted. Oh, yes, you may acquire great knowledge in science, in business, in military combat, but if your heart departs from the living God, you are an ignorant man. He who in his heart says there is no God is a fool. However wise he may be in the world's eyes and his own. These men possess some fragments of knowledge, but they do not have the foundation. They possess branches of knowledge, but they've missed the root. Branches of knowledge they may have. You've missed the root of it all. You can be a great leader in the world's eyes, and you can lead people to great earthly achievements. You can start amazing companies. You can pastor over huge megachurches. You can achieve great influence and honor, but if you don't have the fear of the Lord, if you haven't taken hold of the eternal truths of Scripture, placing your faith in Christ, what in the end does it profit you? Nothing. Matthew 6.26 says, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I have to think by reading that verse that earthly wisdom might be different from biblical wisdom. I mean, if you've gained the whole world, who of us here would not say, that, that, that's a success. He gained the whole world. Well, not if you don't fear the Lord. You have forfeited your soul. Wise leaders fear the Lord. The foundation of our leadership must not be on earthly knowledge or natural skills, but on wisdom from above. That is the foundation for wise leadership. Point number two today is this. Develop and maintain deep biblical convictions. Albert Moeller defines conviction as this. Conviction is a belief of which we are thoroughly convinced We are convinced that these truths are essential and life-changing. We live out these truths and are willing to die for these truths. Convictions are not beliefs we hold merely. They are beliefs that hold us in their grip. And we see this in Scripture, in Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 and 5 says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with what? Full conviction. In Proverbs we see, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your necks. Write them on the tablets of your heart. And I think these verses parallel well Bind them on the tablet of your heart. What? So we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by deceit. Look, for those who have faith in Christ, we have this conviction that what we believe is true. That's part of faith. But we can grow apathetic, can't we? We can buy into the lies of the world, can't we? Lady Folly is calling to us, and we can, we can hear that and, and be deceived by what we truly value. And we can be tossed to and, and fro, even as leaders, if we're not grounded upon the conviction of Scripture. We cannot lead in a way that is faithful to Christ and effective for Christ's people if we are not deeply invested in Christian truth. It comes from Albert Moeller. You want to be a leader of conviction for the truth? We must be invested in it. We must be students of the Word of God. Look, there's no leadership technique that can help us cut corners in this. We can't substitute Simon Sinek for the Bible. We have to go back to the source of truth. Wise leaders study the Word of God. It's our life source. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We will never lead with conviction if we are not convinced that the truths of Scripture are absolutely essential, absolutely life-changing, if we don't bind them around our necks and write them on the tablets of our heart. Conviction must be rooted in the truth and And we see how conviction in earthly wisdom can be very, very dangerous. Look at Hitler. Look at Mao. Look at Stalin. These were men of of great conviction. What was the problem? Their conviction was based on evil desires and beliefs. No, we we need great conviction as leaders for the truth. We need to believe that these are absolutely essential, absolutely life-changing. Look at how Paul led, and look at what he said in Philippians 1. He says this, to live for Christ is for Christ. To die is what? Gain. He was a leader of conviction that knew the truths of Scripture were essential and life-changing. And he was willing to stake everything, everything on these truths, Queen Esther risked her life to approach her husband, the king of Persia, unannounced, to plead the cause of her people. She didn't know what the outcome would be. That's conviction. Martin Luther was brought before the Holy Roman Emperor, and he was told to recant after rebuking the Catholic Church for its unbiblical teaching. He was threatened with excommunication, possibly death said, I cannot recant. I cannot recant. For I have conviction that by doing so it would go against the Word of God. His actions led to the Reformation. We know of another Christian, Polycarp. He was Bishop of Smyrna. He was brought before the Romans and he was told to recant for his beliefs. And he did not. And where did that lead him? He was burned alive at the stake. A Christian leader with conviction will stand by those convictions, whether it leads to the reformation or to the lion's den. The earthly outcome doesn't matter. In America we aren't faced with martyrdom, but we are facing spiritual battles every day. There is a battle over what is important, what we truly value going on right now, it's a battle between our flesh and our spirit. How deep are our biblical and spiritual convictions? A good way to test our convictions and what we value as leaders is to ask the questions, ask the following questions: How do you define success? What are your ultimate goals in life? How about your kids' lives? What is your ultimate desires for them? What drives you? Is it building wealth or a 401K? Is it pleasure? Is it fame? Is it fortune? Is it athletic ability? Is it public praise? What drives you ultimately in life and as a leader? What do you ultimately value? Paul Tripp says this, We are value-motivated human beings. Of course we are. Your words, your time commitments, your finances, your emotional highs and lows, your relationships, your spiritual habits, they form a picture of what is valuable to you. If I were to watch a video of your last two months, what would I include is of true value to you. We all live in pursuit of what we've named the most important in our lives. We've got to be reminded of the big picture here. We're so easily distracted by small things. We've got to make sure we've got our eyes on the right goals and the ultimate prize. What does Paul say in Philippians 3 is the goal? I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. There is a great purpose that we were created for, and it's this. It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And the great prize in life, the great prize is Christ. Being in heaven with the Lord is the ultimate prize for the Christian. Being united with Christ here is the greatest treasure on earth. Is that what people see in us as the ultimate goal in life? Is that what we are leading our children to by our actions in our homes? Or are we making our children see that the ultimate prize in life is something else? You know, making it big in sports, getting into a top college, getting the American dream, those can be good things. We need to develop a strong work ethic. We need to work hard in school. We can enjoy the things God has blessed us with. Well, what we're talking about is the ultimate prize here. What we're talking about is the anchoring convictions of our heart. Ambition is not the problem. It's the wrong type of ambition. Rick Phillips says, Whatever gifts you have, you should be ambitious about what God can make of them and do through them. This is a cry from the selfish ambition that often comes so much more naturally to us. We can't treat Christ as an insurance policy for our souls. Well, I asked God into my heart. Now I can go back to living for what's most important, myself, my goals. Godly ambition is a burning desire to be effective in the service of God, to realize God's highest potential for our lives. Worldly success can be a tool for great good, but it is not the measuring stick. Worldly success cannot be the measuring stick for our success. And we can can see this in the example of Joseph. Joseph, he started out in a blessed home, right? He got a coat of many colors from his father. Wow, he's successful. Oh, he was sold into slavery. By his brothers. Oh, that's, that's a failure. Yeah. Oh, but he became a servant. Uh, the highest paid servant of his master. Oh, well, that's, that's good. Oh, uh, he was thrown in prison. Oh, that's, no, that's, that's failure. That's failure there. Oh, now he is the highest ranking official in all the land. Wow, that, that is success. You know, the common thread throughout Joseph's life, Joseph was faithful to God, to the God he served, and he led with conviction regardless of circumstances. He understood the true measure of success is not in earthly standards, but found in God. Look, you might get promoted at work for your high ethical standards as you work diligently for God. Or you just might lose your job for standing up to some unethical activity and saying, I can't be a part of this. We have to come to grips with the fact that sometimes standing up for the truth leads to the Reformation, and sometimes it leads to the lion's den. Earthly success is not the measurement of our success. Finally, wisdom for leaders. Point number three is we walk humbly with God. Prideful people. Ah, prideful people. You know those people who think they know everything? They are a real annoyance to those of us who do. (laughs) So annoying. You know, once a few years ago, my kids were um, on the deck, and, and two of them who wish to remain anonymous were having temper tantrums. There were two of them. My three-year-old was lounging on his deck chair with his sunglasses, sunning himself, and he looked over with contempt, and he said, Just look at those babies. They're having a terrible attitude, and I'm over here thinking about God. <laughs> Is that a reflection on my parenting? I don't know. You know, we see so many verses in Scripture, and I don't mean to just dump them all on you, but just take a, take a look at these. When pride comes... Then comes disgrace, but with the humble come wisdom. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, as wise wise leaders understand they are first and foremost followers. We're servants of the Most High King. We're followers. We're servants of God. Paul calls us slaves of God. When we think of ourselves as irreplaceable, what does Scripture say? We're like vapor. We're here today, gone tomorrow. When our selfish ambition rises up, We need to remember Jesus' words. No, the greatest among you shall be your servant. God is not impressed with our talents or abilities. He gave them to us. And whatever gifts we have, whether they're modest or great, what pleases God is when we use our gifts faithfully for His glory, not our own. Wisdom, wise leadership cries out, May Christ increase and I decrease. So, very very brief application today is this. Leaders, are we leading towards biblical goals? Do we lead with the proper mindset and to the proper end? In the church, elders and deacons, are we passionate for God's truth and for serving God's people? men and women who are in leadership positions in this church, you're going, to do, you're going to be leading in various capacities that people won't notice or won't acknowledge. It's not done for the praise of man. It's done for God's glory. In work, do we view our work as a calling from God for His glory? Do we remember that the person in the cubicle, ne- cubicle next to us is no mere mortal. Everyone who we work with is on a path, either to heaven or hell. And how can we be salt and light in the workplace, lovingly serving others? In our homes, oh, in our homes, husbands and fathers, what a privilege it is to be entrusted with the souls of our families. As head servant leaders in our homes, are we leading with conviction for truth? And feasting on the word daily. Are we the first to repent in humility? What an opportunity we fathers have for the kingdom. Wives and mothers. What values and convictions have a hold on your hearts. That you are teaching to your children. Or encouraging your husband towards. You know, in my own life some of the biggest spiritual encouragements to me have been my wife, my mother, and my grandmother. They have prayed long and hard for my spiritual growth, and they pointed me to Christ with their actions. Students, you want to be godly leaders at your school? Walk in humility. Walk in humility. And respect for those who God has placed over you. But in closing... And this is pretty important. In closing, in the end, no matter how wise a leader you are, you are still a fallen man and woman. Solomon, the wisest of men, he fell into sin and despair. Paul had his thorn in his flesh, declaring, what a wretched man that I am. Moses' sin cost him entrance into the promised land. David fell into adultery, murder, and lies. Samuel and Eli had wayward children who committed great sin and caused great sadness and turmoil. Fathers fail, mothers fail, sometimes our marriages fail. Every leader on earth, every parent, every pastor, every government official, when placed up against God's righteous holy standard, is deemed a failure. But that's not where it ends. For our success is not tied to our own achievements or in our children's achievements. It's tied to Christ in His work, in His death, and in His resurrection. He is the true measure of our success. Of success. He is the great Master, our great Lord and Savior. And those who have faith in Christ, who are united to Him, possess the prize right here and now. It's Jesus. And out of that truth, what are we freed to do? We're freed up from our own selfish ambition. We're freed up from our small-minded goals to walk faithfully as servants of God, for His glory alone, striving for the day when we hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Let's pray.